I'm Brian Scordato, and this is the Idea to Start a Podcast brought to you by Tacklebox. We accelerate ideas into real companies through the Tacklebox membership, and we think through startup strategy every Wednesday on the Idea to Start Up Podcast. You're here because you're thinking about an idea, or you're ready to launch something, or you already launched something and you're running full steam ahead. We're here to help with the counterintuitive stuff. On to it. Today, we're going to have some fun. We're going to start what I call a skeptical startup. And we're going to do it because nearly everyone working on a startup idea while they've got a job is hamstringing themselves. There's a question that sets up shop in the mind of every entrepreneur building anything while they've got a job. When do I quit and go after this thing full time? It's a hard question, so we usually ignore it. This is a disaster. Lack of strategy around this question has killed as many startups as competition or lack of funding or team has combined. Today, we'll help you build a firm strategy for the question and set a North Star with a little help from the skeptical startup. Whenever a new member joins Tacklebox, during our first meeting, I always ask, do you want to eventually work on this idea full time? And if so, when? It takes them less than a second to answer. Yes, they'd like to leave their job to do this, and the time frame almost always is, quote, by the end of the year. Great. My next question, a seemingly straightforward follow-up, is what needs to happen with your startup for you to leave your job? This question makes founders act like I just asked them to define pornography in front of a grand jury. Hmm, good question. Well, I think, I think I'll know it when I see it, maybe? This is a big problem, but it's not surprising. You've never worked on a startup before, so how the heck could you know what a startup that's working looks like? And it's not unreasonable to assume that once you get to that point, you'll know it when you see it, but you won't. Ask any entrepreneur at any stage how their business is going, and they'll kind of sigh and shake their head and stare off into the distance like John Dutton and Yellowstone and mutter, who knows? Because there are always positive signs and negative signs, and they're all emotionally charged, which means we're irrational about them. It is never obviously working. There will never be all green lights. So for founders, this plays out exactly how you'd think it would. People thrash on their idea for a while. It's never clearly working well enough to quit because that's not a thing, so they don't. A year passes and the startup quietly takes a back seat then disappears. Or they lose momentum well before a year because it never seems like that moment of clarity, that moment of obvious potential that'll let them leave is coming because it isn't. So good startups, founders with potential, clock back in at the light. The painful part of all of this is that it isn't really a startup problem. It's a framing problem. The question isn't just about your startup being ready for you to work full-time on it. It's about your life being ready to support a startup. What are the conditions you need to feel comfortable shifting over? If you start with those conditions, you can back into the metrics your startup needs to hit. An early piece of homework I give our founders at Tacklebox is a simple Excel sheet. What are your monthly expenses? How much money do you have saved? What are you willing to cut down on? And what is non-negotiable? This all ends in a number, the amount you need coming in each month for you to live. The goal is to get that number as low as possible, of course, but the more important thing is that you know what it is so that you can create some boundaries. Now, to quit, you either need a business making X amount of money each month with Y going into your pocket, or you need to have raised enough funding that you can pay yourself Y amount of money each month. And you know I prefer you after the first rather than the second. 
You won't quit before you hit that amount of money, but you'll definitely quit once you do. Which brings us to the characteristics of the skeptical startup. The idea for the skeptical startup came from a handful of founders that have come through the program over the years. These founders were skeptical. Not skeptical of their ability to be successful entrepreneurs, they were 100% confident in that. Skeptical that the idea as structured that they had was worth their time because they valued their time so highly. So they showed up to Tacklebox with rules. And the two rules one specific founder brought are the rules that have come to define the skeptical startup. Rule number one, the business has to make $8,000 a month in revenue before they leave their job. And the minute it does make $8,000 a month, they put in their notice. Rule number two, they'd work no more and no less than 10 hours a week to make that happen. The thinking was, if they couldn't get the business to $8,000 a month in 10 hours per week, it wasn't directionally strong enough to leave their job and pursue. And as you probably guessed, it eventually worked. It took this founder about nine months and a bunch of false starts to iterate their way to a problem and a customer and a duct tape and bubblegum, mostly Wizard of Oz solution that made $8,000 per month. And then they quit. And now that business makes 10 times that. And that approach, pick a revenue number you'll leave at and figure out how to get there, has worked multiple times. So those will be our rules for today. The business has to make $8,000 per month, and the founder will only work 10 hours a week on it. By the way, if you listened to our pod before, you know we aren't the, quote, make $8,000 with your side hustle type. Even saying that sentence made my face scrunch up like I ate a bad pistachio. But setting 8K as a revenue target is actually magical for two reasons. First, your brain loves a good goal and the organization that flows from one. The first line of one of the best books I've ever read, The Alchemist, sums it up. When you want something, all the universe conspires in helping you to achieve it. And second, because the math of 8K forces you to make hard decisions, which you'll see later on. And because I can't help it, we'll use an actual startup idea I had as an example to nail this puppy home. I'll introduce the idea now, we'll listen to a little smooth jazz, and then we'll apply it. We'll get you out of here in the next 10 or 15 minutes, you'll be motivated as heck on the other side, and if you aren't, I'll give you your money back. Okay, here is the idea. I have a podcast. Don't believe me? You're listening to it. Boom. You might even rate it five stars on Spotify or iTunes later if you're feeling generous. Anyway, I record this podcast from my home office in Connecticut, which has, apparently, terrible acoustics. When the show started to take off a bit last year, I bought a nicer mic and higher quality cables and a rotating mic arm and a preamp and I use what I think is good software. But my sound quality is still mediocre, as many of you have written in to gently remind me. I've considered putting felt tiles on my walls or getting a little egg crate enclosure thing, but I don't know if that's the problem. About a month ago, I caved and bought an even nicer mic, but apparently that still wasn't the problem because the sound still stinks. I'd argue it's worse. All I want is for someone to come in and set up my office for great acoustics and lighting, which is also a problem and why we don't have videos on YouTube, so that I can just hit record and not worry about buzz or plosifs or my kid crying on the other side of the house or Ruby barking. I'm in a hole and I just want to overpay someone to throw me a rope and I can't find anyone to do it. Sounds like a great problem to solve, right? Well, let's put it through the skeptical startup framework and see. After? A little smooth jazz. Idea to Startup is brought to you by Tacklebox, an accelerator for people with ideas and full-time jobs. If you aren't sure what to do next, we've got a step-by-step -step process that's helped people build tons of businesses worth lots of money. It's got 25 hours of content, 
examples, and templates all organized in the tight seven block path. If you get stuck and need feedback, I meet with founders personally every other week to organize sprints and help with tactics and approach. If you get lonely, we've got a bunch of other founders building alongside you. They're talented and driven and all in absolute delight. I handpick each one. If that's interesting, apply at gettacklebox.com. The beautiful, painful logistics of 8K. When I said we'd have to make 8K a month, you probably did a little internal math. Depending on how good you were at number crunchers, you would have realized that 8K per month is about 96K per year. Most people with most businesses can find a way to live on 96K per year in revenue, especially at the start. Obviously, the costs of businesses vary and everyone is different and on and on, but 8K per month is a good number for most people to quit their job. More importantly, 8K per month is the destroyer of bad customers and bad problems. Here is what I mean. So how do you make 8K per month, literally? Well, you could have 800 customers pay you 10 bucks each, or 80 pay you 100, or 8 pay you 1,000, or 2 pay you 4,000, or a whole bunch of other permutations that would be really bad podcasting to just continue to list out. Immediately, though, you start to realize things. First, 800 customers paying you 10 bucks while you're still working 10 hours a week seems impossible, and it almost certainly is. That is just an enormous number of people, and it's unlikely they'd all want the same thing. So whatever you build would need multiple features right out of the gate, and that is not happening. What's funny, though, is when I ask founders in the early stages of their business how much they think they're going to charge for the thing, they often quote something like 10 or 20 bucks a month when they're building a SaaS product. But just knowing the 8K math makes them realize it is probably not worth their time to build a product delivering that little value to their first customers. It puts the emphasis on customer acquisition, which is hard and expensive, especially with such a low payoff. You're going to kill yourself to get 50 customers and it won't even cover your monthly coffee bill. So next, maybe you think, all right, 80 customers paying $100 a month is good. And it's definitely much better, but still 80 customers is a lot. You got to find them, convert them, take payments, build a product they can all use to solve their problems. 40 paying 200 or 20 paying 400 starts to feel like the floor. but who actually pays 400 bucks a month for something and who pays it every month? Because we don't really want to find someone and get them to pay us $400 a month only to have to find another person to pay us $400 the following month to take their place. And if you aren't selling something customers are going to pay for each month, the math gets scarier. If you're selling organic cotton onesies and you sell $8,000 worth in one month, it's likely you got to find 8,000 worth of brand new customers for the next month. Yikes. Thus, 8K is the destroyer of bad customers and bad problems. It lets you realize that there are very few types of customers and problems you should focus on to start. These are the ones that will let you reach escape velocity, with escape being from delight. Your core job, then, is to find those problems and those customers. Podcasters note, escape from delight just exploded to the top of my book title idea list. Back to the podcast setup idea to see how this looks in real life. I bet my problem that my sound quality is awful and I want it to not be that can be solved by someone locally. Someone in the AV world has to live within 20 minutes of me and they could walk in and create a setup for me in under an hour. So why wouldn't I as an entrepreneur build a marketplace for that to happen? Because of 8K. Let's say the AV guy charges 500 bucks to fix my setup and I am happy to pay it. 
Maybe the business then takes 20% of that as the marketplace fee. Maybe. That is 100 bucks. Maybe the AV guy pays $100 a month to be on the site as well. Now, do the math to get to 8K. You would need dozens of AV people doing dozens of jobs each month. It theoretically could happen, but it doesn't feel realistic. So you start to see the marketplace business model, while unbelievably attractive at massive scale, looks horrendous early on. Taking a few bucks on transactions you kill yourself to facilitate is a beast. If you are going to take it on, go into it with your eyes open. But for me and the AV idea, this 8K math lets me know I need a better problem and a better customer immediately than a marketplace. Reduce the surface area. Shane Parrish of the fantastic Farnham Street blog, I'll put it in the show notes, talks a lot about surface area. Here is a quote. As a rule, the larger your surface area, the more energy you have to expend maintaining it. If you have one house, you have a relatively small surface area to maintain it, depending on the age and size of the house, of course. If you buy another one, your surface area expands, but it doesn't do it linearly. It expands slightly above that. It's all the same work plus more. The thing about surface area is that the more you have, the more you have to defend and maintain. The larger your surface area, the more you are burdened with mentally and physically. Most of our early founders fail because of the size of their surface area. And the biggest swallower of surface area is different types of customers. To be successful, you got to make your first customer wildly successful. They need the Kunal Shah Delta 4 step up in value. Their previous solution was a 3 or 4 out of 10. You give them a 7 or an 8 out of 10, and that is Delta 4. Then they'll pay a huge margin and tell everyone about what you do. The margin and the word of mouth is how you grow. If you have multiple types of customers with multiple goals, your surface area expands exponentially, and it's unlikely you'll get to the level of depth from a customer understanding perspective and a product perspective to get that Delta Four step up for each of them. You'll have to nail this for multiple customers, and it is not happening. So the 8K plus the 10 hours a week force you to focus on your surface area and to protect it. The only customers you allow on are the ones that have the ability to launch you out of that first phase of the business. If you're selling to consumers who are highly reticent to pay $10 a month for anything, you're sunk from day one. You need to find a handful of customers who will pay you a whole lot of money to solve an urgent, painful, expensive problem. One that's frequent, one that shows up every month so you don't need to go and find new customers each month. One that you can go deeper than anyone else on, using your surface area to find the nuances in the specific problem and a strategy to solve it, rather than trying to service a whole bunch of different types of customers. The 8K and the 10 hours narrow the type of customer you can conceivably work with, and that is good because it forces you to focus. Find the customer with that type of problem and get close to them. Help them solve it. Your effort is focused on finding wicked problems and figuring out how to be useful solving them. It's all about the search. The skeptical startup framework makes it clear that your goal is to find the right customer and go deep with them. Luckily, I've got time to do that right now, for better or for worse. Last week, while playing basketball, after nailing a couple threes, still got it, I felt that familiar pop in my right Achilles. It snapped like a guitar string and rolled up into the back of my leg like a window shade. Sorry for the detail, but we're in this together now. Call my Achilles Natalie Imbruglia because it's torn. 
So I'm in the recline position with my foot up for the next month or two and have the time to run some customer interviews. So I did. The goal was to dig around on this problem, the one where my sound quality stinks, and see if there was a customer that would continually pay hundreds or thousands of dollars a month to solve a very important, very painful problem there. I made some calls to podcasters that were dead ends, but then reached out to a booking agent. I get easily 50 emails a week from booking agents trying to get their clients booked as guests on this pod. We don't do guests, but they don't do research, so here we are. I called and said I didn't want their clients, but I was curious. What issues came up in the past few weeks that were urgent? After a bunch of false starts, one story caught my ear. Quote, well, I book 100 or so podcasts for my clients each week. And the first question the hosts ask is about the equipment. Do they have a setup that'll give good audio? And lots of times they don't. Big podcasts are maniacal about it. I had a lead. So I reached out to a bunch of podcast hosts trying to grow interview shows, the ones interviewing like 10 or 20 people a month. How do they deal with audio for their guests? I asked. For a few, it sounded like a disaster. They sent them instructions, use wired headphones, room with a rug, etc., but most ignored them. Then the podcaster had to try to fix it all in post, which they can only do so much. I jumped. I'm actually building a business that'll ship a full package, mic amp lights, with a video instructing them how to set it all up, I said. Then there's an included shipping label to send it all back. It's 200 bucks per guest. Or we have an unlimited plan, six months of shipments for 5K. I made it up on the spot. Then I sent that pitch over to a bunch of hosts over email. Two podcasts were interested. One said they'd probably even do the 5K unlimited once they saw that it worked. Next, with the 8K per month in mind, I reached out to a production company with a bunch of podcasts underneath them and asked how they handled it. And again, it was sporadic and an issue. There was a path to a big contract here. 8K forces you to think hub and spoke. Who are the nodes that can connect me to a bunch more nodes? Who are the influencers in decisions? So that's a lead on a business. I'm not going to pursue it. I don't know the customer well enough and I haven't thought through logistics. I also have no idea how to make someone's audio sound good, obviously. But that's the type of problem that you end up with when you throw on skeptical startup blinders. Only big, frequent, painful, urgent, expensive problems. Only bleeding neck problems. Only customers that can afford to pay and are willing to. Ideally, customers that can prepay. Getting six months of payment up front, even at a 30% discount, gives you money to grow immediately, which is huge. This will also get you on the same side of the table as your customer. You want to find a problem they're so motivated to solve that they'll work hand in hand with you to solve it. They'll put up with the learning to get the end result and they'll pay you to do it. That type of close relationship with a customer leads to the type of product that ends up successful. Hold your surface area for that type of customer and that type of problem. And yeah, I was going to call that business sounds good. And no, I'm not super proud of that. And I'm open to better pun names. The end, your goals. My old boss used to talk about how there are two types of people in the world. The ones who have goals, they can shout at you within three seconds of you asking and the ones who don't. When we would listen to pitches, he'd always ask things like, What are your three big goals for the year? Or frequently, what is your biggest personal goal right now? He said he didn't care what the goals were, just that they existed. People who have goals tend to reach them, he said. He used to carry around a laminated card in his pocket at all times with his three biggest goals for the year. 
He said he looked at them every morning when he put them in his pocket and every night when he went to bed, and he had for 20 years. He'd hit nearly every goal. The skeptical startup framework, 8K and 10 hours a week, is a goal. It creates boundaries for you. Is it the absolute perfect goal? I don't know. Is it sporadic and somewhat random? Sort of. Is it perfect for everyone? Absolutely not. But it does a great job of focusing you and creating the conditions for you to get to the next step. If you have different goals, maybe you want to create more of a content-based business or you really want to build a marketplace and you've only got three hours a week, fine. But do your own version of the skeptical startup. Know what you need to leave and build a business geared towards it. If you let the universe know what you want, it'll align around you to help you achieve it. And for everyone who got torn by Natalie and Brulia in their head after I mentioned it, I'll put it in the show notes. It still holds up much better than my dumb Achilles. This was the Idea to Startup podcast brought to you by Tacklebox. If you've got a startup idea and a full-time job, head to gettacklebox.com and apply. We'll get back to you in 72 hours and could be working together by the weekend. Have a great week.